We're going to go to the Easter story in John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, John chapter 20, where we're going to be, we'll have the verses up here. So if you don't have a Bible, you'll still be able to follow along. So as you go to the Gospel of John, um, how many of you uh, like to yard sale? How many of you like to uh, go out and do yard sailing? Okay, a few of you guys. So now you know who to hit up for like, uh, if you don't have the time, it's too aggravating for you, you can go find some people who will do it for you. Um, this is a time of year where yard sales start to get going, and uh, the weather hopefully is going to get a little better, and, and uh, going out bargain hunting. Well, in 1989, there was a, uh, a man who went to a yard sale, and he saw a, a picture that he didn't like, but he liked the frame, and he decided to buy this picture. Uh, and he paid, he had negotiated, he paid $4 for this picture. When he got home, he tried to take the picture apart so that he could get the, the frame and use it for another thing that he wanted to, to frame and put up there. Unfortunately, he broke the frame. It destroyed the frame. So $4 down the two. Except when he got the frame apart and the picture apart, he found a folded up document behind the picture. When he opened it up, it was a a copy of the Declaration of Independence. And it turned out that it was one of the original copies of the Declaration of Independence. And turned out that this copy was quite valuable and actually almost $2.5 million worth of valuable. Now that's some kind of yard sale find, isn't it? That makes you want to go out and do some yard sailing, doesn't it? Think about... He buys this picture, he buys this frame, he buys everything and says, I, I, well, it's worth the risk. And I, when, the, when the frame breaks, he thinks, ah, I wasted four bucks. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, I'm so disappointed. I, I don't know what to do. He tries to fix it. He can't fix it. He thinks that the whole point is about this frame. Doesn't realize what he has. What he actually has, what he actually finds because of the breaking of the frame, because he chose to take it apart, is worth so much more than what he lost. Now, when did he actually become in possession of great wealth? When he bought it. When did he realize that he had great wealth? When he put his eyes on it, right? And I think sometimes we get lost like that in our lives. I mean, think about the people who sold that thing. You know? Think about the people who put this out for for four bucks. You don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe they were struggling financially. Maybe they were hurting. Maybe they couldn't figure out how to pay their bills. And here they are having a yard sale to try to pay some bills, not even knowing the resource that was theirs. Struggling needlessly because they had a, this precious document, one of only 24 in the whole world. Today we're going to read the account in John's Gospel of the resurrection. And I want to show you just one thing that really got me thinking as we think about the way that John tells this story. And so, what do we know about Easter morning that tells us something very profound about God's heart for us and about the opportunity we have to have the very God of the universe at work in us? And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you're a part of this church or not. What matters is this God has you here for a reason today. And God is going to open up the opportunity for you to know something very, very cool about him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read John chapter 20. I'm going to start at verse 1, and I'm just going to read all the way down to verse 9. We're just going to read the whole thing. And then we're going to kind of think through a little bit of what the details of this story tell. So here's what it says. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, 
Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. All right, so we have a familiar story here. And obviously, as we gather together on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, there's one detail that grabbed my attention in this story. It is the first day of the week. It is Sunday. It's actually why we as a church and and churches all around the world gather together on Sunday to worship because the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened on Sunday. So week by week, we commemorate this transformational event in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as you know, Jesus had died. His disciples were were heartbroken, were crushed, were lost. Jesus had suffered. Jesus had been betrayed. And he had died and, and all of, everything seemed like it fell apart. And they waited through the weekend to see what they could do. They couldn't go take care of his body because of the Sabbath day. And so on Sunday morning, as dawn breaks, the first light of day, they go down to the tomb with hearts that are broken. And what they find is that the stone has been rolled away. That the tomb is empty. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I'm here to tell you this day, this is not a myth, this is not a legend, this is not a fairy tale or a story, this is fact. How do I know? Because I know Jesus today. I'm not talking about something theoretical, I'm talking about I know Jesus today. I know that He's alive. And many around this room know Him as well. And I will say this to you, that fact can change everything about your life. Because salvation can come to you. Forgiveness for all of your mistakes, all of your failures. Imagine what the Bible describes, that your soul can be washed clean, that you can be made new in Jesus Christ because of the death and the resurrection of Christ. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty powerful stuff. But here's what I noticed, and and I'm weird and I know that, but here's what I noticed. The tomb wasn't just empty. The tomb was also open. Now, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you. Of course it was open. The stone was rolled away. He rose again, whatever. Okay, but just think with me for a second about this. What's the difference between the tomb being empty and the tomb being open? Let me ask you. Did the tomb need to be open for Jesus to rise from the dead? I mean, later on, we find him walking through walls, right? Tomb didn't need to be open so that Jesus could rise from the dead. So why is the tomb open? You ever think about that? That's the kind of stuff I think about. <laughs> a closed grave with Jesus alive and appearing, most would have assumed that this is a ghost. Most would have misunderstood the reality of what had happened. 
An open and empty grave is there because God knows our limitations as human beings. He knows our frailties. He knows our doubts. He knows the way our brains work. And he knows that if he left the tomb closed, we wouldn't get it. So what did he do? Because He didn't need to, but for us, he rolled the stone away so that we could see that the tomb was empty, so that we could go in and understand the reality of what had happened, that we could never know if the tomb was closed. It was open for you and I. We needed to know that God had raised Jesus from the dead. And so, and this is what's so cool about God, God made sure we could get it. He didn't say, I'm going to raise Jesus from the dead, and if you don't understand it, too bad. He said, I'm going to raise Jesus from the dead so that there's hope in life for every single person who ever walked this, this earth. And I want you to get it so bad that I'm going to take care of this detail. I'm going to open the grave so you can go in, so you can see it for yourself, so you can get it. Jesus would have been alive with an open or closed grave, but many would have stumbled over it. So God's heart for people opened the grave. And that tells you about how God feels about you. What I would like to tell you today is this. If you want to know God, it's because God wants to know you. If you have a heart to seek the Lord, it's because God has been seeking you. God has been coming after you. As a matter of fact, the very fact that you're in church today is a representation of the fact that God loves you, God desires you to know Him, and just like He opened the tomb and the grave, He has been at work in your life and around your life so that you would know Him, so that you could know all that He wants to do for you and in you in His power and His strength. God wants to make a way so that you can get it, so that it will register with you. He didn't let a stone stand in the way, and I will tell you, He won't let anything stand in the way of you knowing Him the way you need to. If your soul is broken and crushed, if you've been betrayed, if you're discouraged to the point of giving up, God knows it, it matters to Him, and He is after you. And He will let nothing stand in His way. And and even the details, we're going to get down to the details in the grave, but even the details in the grave are specifically given to us to show us that God didn't just open the tomb, He made the tomb so that it was obvious to people that a resurrection had happened. That's pretty cool. God cares about details like that, and God understands it. So let's talk about what it means. Because people who showed up at the tomb didn't get it. The first person we see there is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene comes on Sunday morning, and she sees the stone rolled away, and she evidently knows that the tomb is empty. What does she come to the conclusion of? Someone stole his body. Completely wrong, but that's what she comes to the conclusion of, that he must have gotten taken away. And so she, only thing she can think of is someone stole his body. Because in the realm of her world, in the realm of her understanding, logical, rational, reasonable explanations for what's going on, resurrection was not included in the list. That's not what happens to people. That people die and raised back to life. It doesn't happen to people. And the only person that she knew that could do that was the one in the grave. And so for her, when she comes to a grave, the grave of her Savior, the the grave of her Lord, the one that she loves, and she sees that it's empty, 
It's like this. Can you imagine her watching Jesus die? Knowing how he suffered. Helpless to stop it. Can you imagine the heartbreak for Mary Magdalene? This man that she loved, this man that she's followed, this man that brought hope and joy and peace to her soul is being crucified. And she can't do anything about it. And that seems like the greatest tragedy of all time. It seems like it can't get any worse than that. And then the Sabbath shows up and you can't do anything about it. You just got to leave him rotting in the grave. And it's heartbreaking. Her heart is aching for the weekend to be able to do something about this. It's got to get better. Sunday morning, she shows up at the grave. The grave is open. And what does she assume? It just got worse. Not only has my Lord died, not only was I not able to take care of him over the weekend, but now he's gone and I don't know where he is. That's what she assumes. Because in her mind, what is possible is what is possible scientifically, humanly, understandably, logically. That's what's possible. And I would say to you today, God has been opening the grave for you. God has been making a way for you to know him. And what you are is you've taken a glance at it and you've said, nope, not possible. No one can help me. I've talked to people before and I've said, there is hope for this. This is not too big for God. God can do this if you'll trust him. And they say, no, you don't know my story. And I say, no, you don't know my God. See, the reality is when we come to a problem, we come with a solution set that we understand, that we get. We say, what can I do about it? What can man do about it? What's possible, humanly speaking? But the un- um, unbelievable, amazing thing about God is he's not limited by what's possible. And so there may be aches in your heart. There may be wounds in your soul. There may be problems that you're facing, struggles that are in your life that are too big for you, absolutely too big for you, totally validate you on that. But you know why they're there? Because they are the way that you will recognize that you need God, that you need His work in your life. Because until you completely give Him your life, you're going to keep looking at what can I do about this? How can I work this out? How will this going to work for me? That's how Mary looked at the tomb. And because of it, she is shaken. She is wrecked. Maybe you've looked at church before and you've been hurt by church before. Maybe you've talked to Christians who have been rude or or, or horrible to you. And all you can see as God invites you in, as God invites you to come into the tomb and see what he's done, see what he can do for you, all you can see is fear. All you can see is hurt. That it's going to somehow be something you don't want to be a part of. What I would encourage you today is to enter in. Because if Mary had entered in, she would have understood. She would have been able to get it. She assumed and she ran. And so Mary ran off and told two people. The two people she, she told are Peter, Simon Peter. And we know him pretty well. Simon Peter had had a rough night a few nights ago. He had been ready to kill for Jesus taking out his sword and starting to slice at the soldiers. Jesus said, no, put your sword away. Jesus had already told him, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Peter said, I'm ready to die for you. And he was, except he wasn't. So Peter, devastated, just absolutely devastated. Peter hears the tomb is empty. Off he goes running. 
The other disciple, the disciple here called the disciple whom Jesus loved, is the, is the disciple who's writing this gospel, John, the apostle. And the two of them hear the news, and both of them run. Both of them are excited. Both of them are unsure. Both of them maybe are confused. They panicked. I don't, we don't know what they are, but they're running. They're enthusiastic about going and finding out what's going on. They're interested. They, they want to know what's the deal. The Bible tells us that John got there first. The Apostle John got there first. He was faster, clearly. He's writing the story, so it was an important detail for him to let you know. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like a guy, right? By the way, I won, right? So John gets there first, but John does not go in. John stops at the entrance. Why didn't he go in? I mean, eventually he goes in, but why didn't he go right away? Was he afraid? Was he overwhelmed? Was he, you know, short-circuiting in his head? Was he confused? We don't know, but he stayed outside. He was excited, he was interested, he was right on the threshold, but he didn't go in. He had been told that Jesus' body had been stolen, and what he saw as he looked in seemed to support what he already thought. Maybe you're like John today. You're so close to what God wants to do for you in your life. You're right at the door looking in. You haven't gone in yet. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're overwhelmed. You were excited. You were all pumped up to get there. And when you got there and you're all interested in what's it about and what's going on here, but when it comes right to it, you haven't gone in yet. You're just on the doorstep looking in. And what you see from where you are doesn't give you the whole picture. It's not enough for you to understand. Because John sees, the Bible tells us, what John sees are the linen cloths lying there. So he sees that there's cloths there, but there's not a body there, but that's all he can see from where he is. He can't digest it because he hasn't gone in. Whatever stopped him from going in is also stopping him from getting it. I would say to you, if that's you, then join with John and go in. Many have gone in. Come with us. You'll be surprised at what you see. Then what we find is Simon Peter behind him, arriving at the tomb. And of course, Peter does not stop. Peter just goes right on in. And what you'll see in verse 6, what you'll see is he saw the strips of linen lying there. And then verse 7, and the whole verse 7 is just this detail that doesn't seem to mean anything except it's the pivot point from Mary's misunderstanding and John's misunderstanding to the difference of Peter and John then seeing and believing. And what's the difference? Here's the difference. He sees the the, the strips of linen as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. What is that about? That's a detail, and it's in there for a reason. Here's the reason. They had been told that someone came and took Jesus' body. If someone came and took Jesus' body, they would not have unwrapped him. Remember when Lazarus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he came out of the tomb and he was walking you know, real stiff, and Jesus said, you got to take off those, those bindings off of him. you gotta, you got to loose him and let him go because they were wound tightly with these, with these burial cloths. And inside of each of these layers, there were spices and, and, and scents and, and things you know, that were kind of like the way that they took care of this one who had died. Um, and they were, there were ways like today we send flowers to a funeral, whatever. They were that kind of thing. So it was a way of pouring out your passion and your love. But these were valuable things. These weren't just 
trinkets. These were valuable things that they put in there. And so if someone was going to come and steal the body, they weren't going to take the time to unwrap the body. And they certainly were going to leave behind stuff that had monetary value. They were going to come in, pick up the body and go. But the, but the wrappings were still there. And then it gives you this detail. If grave robbers had come, they certainly wouldn't have done this. There was a cloth that evidently was around Jesus' head. And you can, you can find out all kinds of stuff about that cloth and what it means and folded. Powerful, great stuff. But here's what I'm grabbing from it right here. Because I think this is the thrust of what John's saying. The cloth was not left in a way that suggested anything except somebody got up in the grave and said, I don't need this on my head anymore. And folded it up and left it in a way that told you this was on purpose. It wasn't dropped on the floor. It wasn't kicked off to the side. It wasn't vanished. It was there, folded, and left. So that anybody who would walk in would be able to walk into that tomb and see resurrection. See that Jesus was alive and not dead. And so when Peter went inside and saw these things, they found behind what God had left as messages of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus had risen, that he is alive. He made a way open and he made the message clear. And it says that when John went in, he believed. When John went into the tomb, he got it. He understood that Jesus had risen. That there is power beyond what man can do. Power beyond what you and I can fix. And that power is poured out as Jesus is risen from the dead. All weekend, they are heartbroken. They are sick in their soul about the loss of their Lord. What do you think they wished for all weekend? One more day. That he wouldn't have died, that he would be back alive. Impossible wishes. Wishes that we have inside of us. Desires that were too big to ask and too great to believe, except they weren't. Because Jesus rose again. I will say this to you. You've got desires inside of your soul, and they might come out misinterpreted. You think that what you need is a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. You might think that you need kids or a different job or more money or a healthier body or whatever. But there's a deeper ache inside of you and that ache is there to tell you that you need what only God can do. You need the power that raised Jesus from the dead to be at work in your soul. And you are offered it today. Will you receive it? Will you stop at the tomb's door or will you go in? And so here's, this is, for me, all of that is really, really cool. But here's the question I have for you today. God is at work inside of you He wants to make it plain that He loves you, that He provided a way of redemption and forgiveness in life. But do you see it? Do you get it? I guess what I'm asking is, whatever that figurative door is in your life to the the tomb, have you gone in? Have you entered in to see what God has showed you, what God has left for you to see and to know His work, His power? Maybe the thing that stopped you from going in is you're distracted. You've got too much on your plate. If you look at your calendar, it's all full all the time. You're just waiting for a break. You don't have time for God. You don't even have time for the stuff that's in your life already. Isn't that strategic? That the deepest ache of your soul, you can't even look at because you don't have time for it. You better make some time. Because all your busyness is not filling your life, is it? 
It's not satisfying your soul, is it? You need to know Jesus Christ. Maybe it's stress. Maybe you walk around all the time and you just feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. I get it. I've been there. I am there many times. But is God's power big enough for the stress in your life? Is our God able? Do we act like He is? Or do we act like He isn't? Maybe fear has stopped you from seeing. All you see like Mary Magdalene is through fear. They must have stolen his body. And you're like, see, I knew it. I knew life was going to just, the trap door was going to open. Today I'm asking you this. God is trying to get through to you about something in your life. Something that requires the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to be in you. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. You're worried God's mad at you. Here's what I would say to you. You may well be an object of God's wrath at this moment, but He doesn't want you to be. He wants you to be an object of His love. And so He opened the grave. He sent His Son to die, to be buried, to raise again, so that you could have new life in Him. What are you going to do with that? He's made it plain. He's made it clear. What will you do with it? But maybe my, my, the other side of my concern is this. Believers, Almighty God is alive in you. Are you living like that? Or are you living like it's all on you? Uh, let me just This story comes to mind. Ten years ago, about a little more than ten years ago, Dana and I lost something very precious to us, her engagement ring. That was a bad day. That was actually a bad couple of years. <laughs> we looked everywhere we could think of to find this ring. I opened up trash bags, we, we, looked, we moved furniture, we went through all drawers, we went everywhere and anywhere we could think of. We even disassembled a couple of heater vents. We were looking everywhere we could think of to find this ring, and we, didn't, we couldn't find it for like two years. We got to the point where we had given up on trying to find this ring because it just, it just was nowhere. And one day, I'm at work, and I get a call on my cell phone, and it's Dana screaming on the other end. And I'm trying to figure out if she's being murdered. <laughs> Maybe we won the lottery. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Turns out she found the ring. And after a couple minutes of like, you have to say that again. Ah! Okay, you have to say that again. After a couple minutes of that, I finally got, I found my ring. I found my ring. Turns out it was in one of the shoes in our closet. <laughs> Ridiculous, I know. I will tell you this, it wasn't one of my shoes. <laughs> But here's the reason I share that story with you. Isn't it ironic that what we lost, we actually had the whole time? Isn't it ironic that we lived without something that we actually had in our possession, we just didn't know where it was? Believers, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. He broke the power of sin and death forever. Is that alive in you? Because you have it, but do you even know it? Jesus, maybe today, is coming to you to say, I want to heal your soul. I want to bring life to you. I want you to bear witness. I want to use you for the kingdom of God. I want to do some things inside of you. And you're just like, I don't, I, I'm not going to go in. I'm out here. I'm, I'm afraid. Today, I would say to you, don't miss out on this. Because the greatest things in life are found in the power of God. They are founding, found by choosing to 
believe. Not by staying at a safe distance, not by managing to stay far enough away from God so that He doesn't affect what you want, but by drawing near to God to let Him change your very soul to find gifts that maybe you don't even know you have that God provided for you in salvation. God says that He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is for you. Are you living in that? Today I invite you into the grave. I invite you into the tomb, the open tomb, to see that God's resurrection power can be alive in you. If you haven't received Jesus today, I say this. He invites you to find complete forgiveness through His death on the cross. Peace with God, eternal life, not through the good things you've done. The good things you've done, it said, are like filthy rags. It's through the the blood of Jesus that we come. And He's here offering to you today, making it plain for you today to receive Him, to give Him your life, to follow Him. And He has resurrection power to do in your life what you can't do. Will you receive Him? And believers, will you live Maybe you're stuck in shame. Maybe you're stuck in guilt. Maybe you hate yourself. Maybe you just can't seem to break free of sin. There is power for you. And the grave is open and he's inviting you in. Will you come in and live with it? We're going to close with a video in just a second that's an invitation to see what the empty and open grave could mean for you. And I would invite you to consider today that God is offering you that power. But my prayer for you is like Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we will know the hope that is in Jesus and that we would know, get this, that we would know the incomparably great power, excuse me, the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is what I pray that you will know in your life today.